0: Have any of you been following all the changes that Major League Baseball has implemented this year in order to speed up the game? Any of you? Do you you happen to know what uh, any of them are? Pitch clock. Yes. In in, in addition to the pitch clock and the bigger bases, there's a couple other things. You know they are? What are they, Paul? Larger bases. Larger bases. Anyone else? There's a couple other ones. Yes, they, they're, they're implementing how many times the pitcher can take his foot off the rubber, as well as they've done away with the shift. There's no infield shift or outfield shifts. Uh, this this past week, I took my family to a Major League Baseball game. I mean, if you can call it that. I mean, I took them to see the St. Louis Cardinals. Blah. Uh We are in St. Louis, but hey, you know, it's, might as well go, so I... Took them to see the the St. Louis Cardinals. It was painful. But uh, I have to tell you, these new rules, it has changed the game. The game is played differently now as a result of these rule changes. Yet, I would submit to you that one of the greatest changes that ever took place in the game of baseball had happened in the year 2002, do you happen to know what took place that year? That was the year that the Oakland Athletics won the American League West and put together the longest consecutive winning streak in baseball history of 20 games. And you know how they did it? They did it by looking at the game differently. You see, the central premise behind the Oakland A's winning season was that the traditional wisdom of how to build a winning team, that tradition, that, that wisdom, rather, was flawed. The Oakland A's discovered that statistics such as stolen bases, RBIs, batting average, stats typically used to gauge how valuable a player will be in helping their team win, they discovered that those stats really aren't good indicators of whether a team will be successful or not. And said, you know what is? They found just two simple stats, on-base percentage and slugging percentage. You see, they discovered that these two stats, please hear me, they're far better indicators for offensive success. Now, this observation flew in the face of conventional baseball wisdom. However, the Oakland A's general manager at the time, Billy Bean, he became convinced of this. So with a very small amount of money to work with, Billy Bean assembled a team around those statistics, and you know what? It worked. And the Oakland A's 20-game winning streak proved that it worked. They discovered what the best indicators are for putting together a winning baseball team. Now, you don't have to say it out loud, but I invite you to consider this question with me, and that's this. What do you think are the best indicators for spiritual success? That is spiritual growth. The Oakland A's have proven that some of the best indicators are what are some of the best indicators for a successful baseball team, but what about a successful spiritual life. As, as all of you know, today is Father's Day, and one of the many qualities I love about the fathers of this church, and really the, the men in general of this church, one of the many things I love about the men in this church is their desire to grow spiritually. I see it at our men's study on Thursday nights, I see it in the discipleship hour on Sunday mornings. I see it in how the men of this church talk to one another and encourage one another. To use a baseball terminology, what I love about the men of this church is that they want to put together, you could say, a winning season spiritually. The, the men of this church, and I praise the Lord for this, they want to grow So here's the question I want us to consider this Father's Day morning, and that is how? Or better stated, what's the best gauge, what's the best indicator to gauge your growth as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, turn with me in your Bibles to James chapter 1. That's page 1011 in that white paperback Bible. And I believe James answers this very question for us. As you're turning there, I hope it's obvious to see that for Father's Day, we're just going to take a break from Ephesians. We'll jump back to that next week. But as I was thinking about the men and the fathers of this church, I believe what's very appropriate for us in this season of our church's life would be to look at this text on Father's Day. And as you're turning there, this, let me give you the context. James is writing to Christians who are dispersed abroad. And what you need to know about James, if you don't know this already, is that James, the author of this book, he was the brother of Jesus. Now just think about that for a moment. Imagine having your brother be Jesus. Your older brother is the Lord Jesus Christ. Imagine what that must have been like. Now, I, I have an older brother named Todd. And I don't care what Todd did, there was no way in the world that he was going to convince me that he was the Messiah. <laughs> right? However, James was this guy who grew up with Jesus. Think about that. He grew up with Jesus, and he became convinced that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was indeed the very Son of God. And and how did James become convinced of this? Well, James became convinced of this the same way that we today are convinced that Jesus is the Son of God, and that's by Jesus' resurrection. The Apostle Paul states in Romans 1 4, it was Jesus' resurrection which demonstrated that he was indeed and is indeed the Son of God. So here we have the brother of Jesus, grew up in his household, convinced he is who Jesus claims to be. And as we're about to see, we're going to see the teachings of Jesus. They spill over into James's thought. So let's all learn together from James. What I'm going to suggest is the key indicator for building a successful spiritual life. Whether, whether you're a father or not, this is going to apply to everyone. Let's see what James has to say. This morning we're going to be looking at verses 22 through 25. But to, to get the context, because there's going to be a lot of things we're going to draw from these verses... We're going to start back in verse 16 of chapter 1. So following your copy of God's Word as I read James chapter 1, verses 16 through 25. James writes this. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, referring to the gospel, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers, let Every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Now this is where we're going to be focusing our time primarily this morning, verse 22. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Amen. And amen. This is God's good, good word. In the book, Pilgrim's Progress, Christian and his companion faithful, they see a man walking besides them a short distance away on their way to the celestial city and for those of you that don't know the pilgrim's progress it's an allegory about the christian life and the names of the characters represent who they are will christian and faithful meet up with a man who the book describes as quote a tall man who looked more handsome at a distance Than he did up close. Well, when faithful and Christian first meet this man, faithful is very impressed. Like Christian and faithful, this man was also heading towards the celestial city. Furthermore, this man loved to talk about God in the Holy Scriptures. And this greatly pleased Faithful, and it wasn't long before Faithful and this man they engaged in a robust and deep conversation about God and salvation. And after talking with this man for a while, Faithful began to marvel about this man. So stepping over to where Christian was walking, Faithful said to Christian, "Self, he said, man, what a brave companion we have found." Do you think this man will make a very excellent pilgrim? And to the surprise of Faithful, Christian says, no. In fact, Christian was very unimpressed by the man. Shocked, Faithful asked, well, well, do you know this man? Know him, Christian said. Yes, I know him better than he knows himself. Well, then tell me, who is he? faithful asks and Christian replies this man he dwells in our town the city of destruction and then Christian says and I'm surprised you didn't recognize him his name is talkative Christian then explains to faithful while talkative would not be a very good companion he says talkative speaks of prayer repentance and faith. But he does not practice them. He says when you look closely at his life, there is a great disconnect between what he says and what he does. And then Christian stated the main reason why he wanted nothing to do with talkative. Christian said this to Faithful. He says, talkative thinks Hearing and talking will make him a good Christian. And so he deceives his own soul. And you know what, Faith? Christian is absolutely right. Simply hearing and talking about God and His Word will not make anyone... A good Christian. No, the best indicator for whether a Christian is growing in their faith is obedience. Obedience to God's word. And faith, that's the main point James is driving at in our text this morning. What's what's the key to growing spiritually? What what's the one thing that will make the greatest significance in your spiritual journey? I believe James tells us, and that's obedience to God's word. We could say the defining mark of a religious person is that he or she is a doer of God's word. In other words, I think the main point of our passage, we could say it this way obedience makes all the difference. Obedience makes all the difference. Notice that James' logic goes like this, especially this is why we kind of backed up into verse 16. James says that for those who are Christians, for those whom the saving good news of Jesus Christ has been implanted into their souls, they are to receive the word of God and allow it to direct all areas of their lives. Christians are to be the people who do what God's word calls them to do. They're to be doers of the word what I want you to see this morning is that James is getting this idea from none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. In Luke 6, 46, notice how Jesus concludes his Sermon on the Mount. He concludes with these words. Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? But the one who has heard and has not acted accordingly is like a man who built his house on the ground without any foundation. And the torrent burst against it and it immediately, it collapsed. And the ruin of that house was great. Notice, Jesus just doesn't want us to hear what he has to say. He wants us to do it. Again, consider what Jesus says after his resurrection before he ascends into heaven. This is the verse you're, you're all familiar with. Jesus says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then notice what he says, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. Teach them what to obey. Obedience makes all the difference. You see, I think, I think for many of us, myself included, I think we can gauge our spiritual maturity on things of how much, like how much of the Bible I know, or how many Scripture verses I've memorized or how frequently I have a quiet time, we can often look to those things to gauge whether or not we are spiritually mature. In one sense, we can kind of be like the, the, the old way of thinking about successful baseball teams, looking at the wrong indicators. Now, please, please hear me. All the things I just mentioned are good, and I would encourage you to pursue these things. However, Jesus and James make it crystal clear that sitting down and just reading and hearing is not enough. Obedience, James teaches, makes all the difference. And to drive this point home, James in this text gives us three reasons why we are to be doers of the Word. And these are things that I... I want to pray. I've been praying not only for the fathers of our church, but also the men of our church. And these are things I hope we really embrace as Christians. And the first reason James gives as to why we are to be doers of the Word and why it makes all the difference is, number one, I want you to notice that obedience to God's Word, it prevents self-deception. Because look at what he writes there in verses 22 through 24. 24. He says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Obedience makes all the difference. Why does it make all the difference? Cuz number 1, it prevents self-deception. One of the hardest, arguably the hardest graduate class I ever took was an Old Testament class by Dr. Peter Gentry. I will never forget the midterm. We we were told, we were told that we were going to have to identify major places in Israel. So come ready to prepare to identify certain locations in Israel on a map. However, when we all arrived to take the midterm, each person was simply handed a blank piece of paper and told to draw as much as they could remember. The carnage from that midterm (laughs) was brutal. Most of the scores read like a college basketball game. At the half, So as you can imagine, after that disaster, everyone was visibly stressed leading up to the final exam. Well, I take that back. Well, almost everyone. Everyone was stressed except the guys who sat next to me all semester. None of them were nervous. And you know why? Because they were auditing the class. Now, you know what it means to audit a class, don't you? To audit a class means you just simply sit in and listen. That's it. Credit students pay hundreds of dollars to take the class. Auditors pay little or next to nothing. Credit students are required to attend the classes where auditors have the freedom not to show up. Credit students do the homework. They read the books that are assigned and they write the papers that are required. Auditors just listen and like to share in the discussion without doing any of the work. Now, listening is good, but it's not enough to earn course credit. To advance in school, you cannot simply listen. No, you need to do the coursework. And faith, so it is with us in our growth as Christians. Listening to the Word of God in and of itself is not enough to advance you in the school of Christian growth. You need to do the homework. You need to be a doer. And faith, please hear me. There is a temptation that God's people face every Sunday morning in churches across the world. And you know what? This temptation is happening this very moment. And you know what that temptation is? It is the temptation to believe that if while I'm listening to a sermon and I feel something, then that feeling makes me religious or spiritual if while I'm listening to a sermon and I'm convicted about an area of my life that needs to change, then that means I'm growing spiritually. In other words, you know what the temptation is? There's the temptation to think that simply auditing God's Word, simply listening and agreeing with the Word of God, makes a person spiritual. But please listen carefully to what James is saying here. Remember the context of this passage is about what it means to be a spiritual or religious person. James is saying that when we think simply hearing and knowing God's word is what makes a person spiritual, we're deceiving ourselves. And I want you to notice This is the second time James has warned us about being deceived. Did you catch that? The first time has to do with doubting that God is good in verse 16. The second time has to do with us thinking we are too good. (laughs) Man, does James know us or what, right? Our tendency is to deceive ourselves into thinking God isn't good all the while thinking we are good, that we're spiritually mature, simply by auditing God's word. And when we do that, when we simply hear God's word and fail to do it, James says that we are like a man who looks at himself in the mirror, sees all that needs to happen to be presentable, and walks away from the mirror and does nothing about it. Now, this is something we can all relate to, something we're all familiar with. I have no doubt that each of you, looking at you, I, I bet you each one of you looked in a mirror before you came here this morning. Some of us spent more time looking from the mirror than others, right? In fact, I want you to consider something think for a moment about all the stuff you have on your bathroom counter just so you can look presentable in the morning. For most of us, when we roll out of bed and look in the mirror, I'll just speak to myself, there's kind of like, oh, wow, kind of moment. We see all that needs to happen. And we don't stop looking in that mirror until it's taken care of, right? But imagine if you did nothing. Imagine if you never washed your face or your hands from the germs that you picked up throughout the day. Imagine if you never brushed your teeth or showered off all the dearth and filth you've acquired throughout the week. Many just were unkept. Besides looking ridiculous, you would also run the risk of getting sick, wouldn't you? Disease could set in if you're not cleaning yourself, right? Well, faith, so it is with us in sin. When God's word instructs us to put away filthiness and wickedness, as he says there in verse 21, when we look into the mirror of God's word and we see what needs to be cleaned, cleansed, yet fail to do anything about it, you know what happens? In those moments when we look and we see what needs to change and we don't do anything, sin digs deeper. They grow stronger. Sins like envy, sins like bitterness, sins like pride, sins like fear and worry, sins like a lack of self-control. When I open up God's Word and I see what it says about God and I see what it says about me, and the light shines and points out these areas that James says are filthiness and wickedness, things I need to do, and I do nothing about it. Sins like self, lack of self-control. He says, we're like a, mirror, a man who looks in a mirror, who walks away and does nothing. So, so, so go back to your morning routine to get ready for the day. Now imagine with me for a moment if you applied the same level of diligence and effort when you look into the mirror of God's Word and see what needs to be taken care of. Imagine the spiritual growth that would occur in your life. Imagine how different your life would be if you chose to forgive that person as you're commanded to do. Imagine how more joyful you would be if you, get, if you let go of bitterness. Imagine how relieved you would be if you humbled yourself before the Lord and cast all your burdens and cares upon Him instead of worrying and being anxious. Imagine how much more exciting your life would be if you made a consistent habit of sharing your faith with others and inviting them to consider the claims of Jesus. Or how about self-control? When you look into the mirror of God's Word, Christian, what do you see? Uh, may I ask you this? Christian, Christian, can you say no to yourself? Men in particular? Can you say no to yourself when it comes to food? Can you say no to yourself when it comes to alcohol? Can you say no to yourself when it comes to entertainment? Can you say no to yourself when it comes through social media, or shopping? I'd invite you to to consider your bake statement. What does that reveal? Does it reveal a person who has control over their appetites, or rather does it reveal one who is ruled by his or her appetites? To put it another way, let me say this. I guess what I'm getting at Is Christian, are you deceived? That is, are you deceived into thinking you are spiritually mature when in fact the mirror of God's word reveals that there are many dirty areas in your life and you're not being a doer? Be a doer of the word of God. Don't audit it. Second, notice obedience, why does it make all the difference? Well, number one, it prevents self-deception. But number two, it provides real freedom. Because notice what James says there in verse 25. I'm going to back up to verse 24. He says, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Verse 25, but the one who looks into the perfect law, this is referring to God's word, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Now, this, I think, is a really important concept for us to consider and think through. And this is the idea of, well, what does it really mean to be free? Many modern people think that freedom is the complete absence of any restraints. That's what freedom is. The complete absence of any constraints. But I want to just push back on that a little bit and I want to do so by uh, considering a household pet and that's a fish. Okay? Do any of you have a pet fish or have had a pet fish before and are willing to admit it? Well, just pretend like you do to go along with this illustration. Okay? Well, I think it be, won't be too hard to follow along. We've had a couple of pet fish before, and I'm sure as you all know, because a fish absorbs oxygen from water, not the air, it is free only if it's restricted to water. Now imagine if one of my children, when they were younger, we had fish when we were younger, if one of my children thought to themselves, that. Fish. They see the fish in the little fishbowl there. They look at that fish and say, that poor fish, he is oppressed, being restricted in that fishbowl. I know what I'll do. Out of compassion and love, I'll liberate that fish and put him out on the lawn so he can have all the freedom to explore the rest of the world. Tell me, what would happen to that fish? It would die, right? Exactly. When out of the water, the fish is not more free, it's less free. And you know why? Because when out of the water, that fish is not honoring the reality of its nature. Or think of airplanes. We have a fair number of pilots here. The same is true with birds and airplanes. If they violate the laws of aerodynamics, they will crash to the ground. But if they follow them, they will ascend and soar. What I'm saying is this, what, and that is this, Christian, you see, freedom is not so much the absence of restrictions as it is finding the right ones. Those that fit with the realities of our own nature and of the world. Notice how James describes God's law. What does he call it? The law of liberty or the law that gives freedoms. Freedom, as some translations have it. And you know why James describes it that way? Because true freedom, friend, please hear me, is found in living God's way under his authority. You see, you know what our reality is? Our reality is God is the creator and we are his creatures. And his laws have been given for our good. Yet sadly, many people think the opposite is true. So many think that God's laws are restricting They believe obeying God's laws concerning sex or morality or life. They're enslaving. But friend, I want to tell you nothing could be further from the truth. God's commands are freeing. Uh, Several years ago, I took my, my family to a Keith and Kristen Getty concert. And I paid a little bit more money so we could sit on the balcony on the piano side. This is on purpose so we could see the piano player, Keith Getty, move up and down the piano. And what an amazing thing it was to see. Keith moved effortlessly up and down those piano keys. It was awesome. He was, he was like a cheetah on the plains of Africa, right? And it sounded great. And you know why? Because Keith learned the laws of music. All musicians know this, Right? Piano players experience true freedom when they play the piano in accordance with the laws and rules of music. And likewise, humans experience true freedom when they live in accordance with the laws of their creator. Faith, James wants us to be doers of the word. And you know what he's stressing with this phrase, the law of liberty? He wants us to know, listen, God's word is good. Let us never forget that true freedom is found in obeying God's commands and that his commands are good. And ultimately, friend, you know why God's commands are freeing? You know it's a law of liberty, Because our salvation is not dependent upon our obedience to his law. Amen? No, our salvation is based on Christ's obedience for us. Faith, friends, please hear me. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We cannot earn our salvation. No, Jesus did that for us. We are saved by grace. And the Bible teaches that that grace should fuel us to obey. In fact, that grace calls us to work hard in the Christian life. Using the language of James chapter 1, as ones brought forth by the word of truth, we're to be doers of the word. And I think it's important for us to understand that this call to be a doer of the word, it's hard work, and it's not in opposition to grace. I love what Dallas Willard has said, as he correctly pointed out. He says, "Grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. We cannot earn our salvation. No Jesus has earned salvation for us by His death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. Now as those who have received his salvation by faith we're called to give significant effort to our growth as believers. And this by, by way of application, I want to point out, this is, this is why we structure our community group meetings. Basil mentioned the six that we have. We structure our community group meetings around knowing and applying God's truth true freedom is found in submission to God's word. You see, when when you gather together throughout the week or every other week in your community group, you know what's the wrong question to ask? The wrong question when you gather together as a community group, the wrong question to ask is, what did you like about the sermon? Whether I'm preaching Steve, Basil, Alex, Jamin, whoever it is. Don't start with your personal preferences. This is what I like. This is what I didn't like. Rather, I would encourage you, based on what James is saying in this text, you know what the correct question to ask is? The correct question to ask is, what did you learn from this passage and now, what are you going to now do? How are you now going to obey and put it into practice? Well, we want to have a spirit of joyful submission to God's Word because that's where true freedom is found. Now, now, please hear me. I'm not saying that there's no place for sermon evaluation. Of course there is. But, but Faith Community Church, after studying God's Word, our starting point ought not be our personal preferences. Worse still, it ought not be us standing in judgment over God's word and discussing what we like or don't like about the text. No, it must be hearts that are quick to learn and to obey. So when when you gather this week or next week, and you look again at this text to discuss it in your community groups. Ask yourself, what did I learn? And then encourage one another, now what are you going to do in response to that? What are you going to obey? How are you going to incorporate this into your life? Why? Because obedience provides real freedom. But then lastly, not only that, obedience also promises blessing look at how he ends there in verse 25 verse 25 says but the one who looks into the perfect law the law of liberty and perseveres being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts he will be blessed in his listening is that what it says He will be blessed in his auditing. Is that what it says? No, he will be blessed in his doing. Obedience makes all the difference because obedience prevents self-deception. It provides real freedom and it promises blessing. I once read on a a Sunday morning a gray-haired old lady, a longtime member of her church, she she shook hands with the pastor after the service and she said to him, oh, pastor, That was a wonderful sermon, she said. Just wonderful. She said, Everything you said applies to someone I know. (laughs) Faith, James doesn't want us applying the word to others, he wants us to apply it to ourselves. For as this verse promises, obedience brings blessing. Look again how it ends. Verse 25. We need to be reminded of this. And I say we need to be reminded of this because faith obeying God's word can be hard. Obedience can mean doing hard things. And it's precisely when obedience gets hard that people want to jump ship. And it's precisely when obedience gets hard That we can lose sight of the fact of this promise that there's a blessing in obeying. Is it hard to forgive someone who has sinned against you and hurt you deeply? Is it hard to love a spouse who is not lovely? Is it hard to lower your lifestyle so you can tithe generously? Is it hard to do good to those who hate you? Is it hard to share the gospel with a friend? Is it hard to count others more significant than yourself? Is obedience hard at times? What's the answer? Yes. Yet in those moments, we must remember That as we step out in faith and we seek to obey God's good word, God not only meets us there to help us obey, but he also promises a blessing on the other side of obedience. We must remind ourselves that we will be, notice what James says, blessed in our doing. Man, what encouragement. What encouraging news, amen, from our good and gracious Heavenly Father, a Heavenly Father who gives us these good commands for our flourishing, and He promises blessing. You know, the Oakland Athletics put together their 20-game winning streak at the end of the season. They finished strong. Faith, I don't know if you know this or not, but today is almost the halfway point of 2023. Almost. It's almost the exact halfway point of 2023. And with the last half of 2023 in front of us, wouldn't it be great to finish the year strong? Wouldn't it be great to put together a solid season spiritually? I would encourage, especially the fathers in particular, James has just told us the key to make that happen. He has shown us that obedience is the key indicator for spiritual success, that we would be doers of the word. To close, I I want to remind us that we can do this as God's people. Because we have a Savior, Jesus Christ, who perfectly obeyed God's commands. And through faith in our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, He then gives us His Spirit to help us and empower us to become doers of the Word. May may we this week, indeed for the rest of 2023, as our theme is obeying in faith, may we be found diligent to put into practice what God has called us to do. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.